here to make a confession. Confess to what? Murder. Let's get together. I'll say it first. We all love her. And it's time for Kill McCash. Yeah, it's time for Kill McCash. Welcome to Kilmercast. Here is your host, Francis Rizzo III. Thanks, Bernard. Welcome to all the Valpals out there listening to a new episode of KilmerCast. I'm your host, Francis Rizzo III, and I'm here to talk about the films of Val Kilmer, one of the most truly engaging American film actors of the modern era. On this episode, we'll be checking out Kilmer's little-seen 2010 horror film, The Traveler. Joining us to chat about the film and Kilmer's role in it is a writer for Jump Cut Online and the proprietor of her own film blog, Lucy Goes to Hollywood, Kent's own Lucy Bugless. How are you doing today, Lucy? Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing good. I'm glad you could join me. I am doing well as, as well. Uh, it's a Saturday. It's, it's the middle of fall. It's definitely a time when we're just going to get right into sitting at home and watching movies. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, my favorite time of year. <laughs> yes. You've been very busy with the London Film Festival, right? Yeah, there's been a lot of titles that I've watched and I've got to do a lot of reviews when I log off here, actually. So it's just, it's a busy time for me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a blast though. It's the last day today. That's cool. So have you seen anything at the film festival that stood out to you? Yeah, so um, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor is an absolute must-watch, especially if you're a horror fan like me. Um, like it's a really good body horror, like kind of a body swap, very, very bloody, very gory. It actually screened during lunchtime, and it was the point <laughs> where I couldn't even eat my lunch because it was so it was so gory. But that was great, um, so I would really recommend that one for sure. Yeah, I was wondering how much his father might have been involved with that. I haven't heard anything, if, if anything, but I mean, you'd think that if your dad's David Cronenberg, you might lean on him a little bit for some help, or maybe you just say, I'm just going to do my own thing and, and see how good it comes out. But I think if I was me, I'd say, dad, come show me how to do this. <laughs> yeah, no, you can definitely see those influences, but it's nice because he's definitely, he's his, his own filmmaker as well. Because I've, I've often thought it must be quite stressful if, you know, your dad is so famous and he's got such a famous name. Mm. People will criticize you and go, oh, you know, you're just famous because your dad is. But but this guy clearly has potential. So I'm looking forward to, to more of his films. Yeah, I imagine it's a lot like this, the Coppola family. When each one of them comes out with a film, it's immediately, well, your dad is, you know, Francis Ford Coppola. Exactly. You, better, <laughs> you better stack up. And then obviously Sophia did a great job. Uh, some of the other ones, eh, not so much, but you know, uh, I really like CQ. Which, which one? Uh, Roman Coppola. Roman Coppola, he, he's a really talented filmmaker. I don't know about the youngest one, Gia. <laughs> I don't know if she's a filmmaker yet, if not, but definitely enjoyed Sophia and Roman's work. Mm. So I'm not, uh, I'm not going to ask your age, uh, you know, but based on what I've seen online, I'm going to assume that you are a good deal younger than my 42 years of age. You know what? I don't mind telling you. I'm I'm 25 years old, so I'm I'm mid 20s. <laughs> you know, it's a nice age. <laughs> so much ahead of you. So much ahead of you. Oh, I think yeah. I I don't know if you've watched um uh, Billy Madison, and there's a scene where uh, the kid was like, "I can't wait to grow up to be like you, Billy," and he just grabs me and says, "Stay where you are." <laughs> <laughs> well, the future is not what you want it to be, but you know, like, hey, you've got so much ahead of you, so that's great. But you know, being that old, you didn't live through the golden age of Val Kilmer. You didn't get to see him at his, the height of his powers. 
So can you tell me a bit about your experience with the Kilmer Cannon? Yeah, do you know what? Like, it's probably going to annoy some of your listeners, and I'm sorry, but I'm not the biggest, like, Kilmer expert at all. But it's probably <laughs> nice to have someone who's a little bit more clueless, I suppose. Um, <laughs> obviously, I've, I've seen his big ones. You know, I've seen Top Gun, um, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is my personal favourite. So I, I love that. I think it's brilliant. You know, it's kind of mystery comedy action, exactly mm. what I want. <laughs> one of his better films. And I think <laughs> the film we're discussing today is one of his not so great films. <laughs> I would um, agree with you that. Know, he, he's certainly um, a divisive, quite polarizing actor, but it's quite interesting to, to educate myself and learn more. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, interesting to see. Look at his career. There's such a divide between his early work and his later work. And mm -hmm. But even at that point, there's still some little nuggets in there as you go deeper into his, into his canon where you're like, oh, okay, he still was a talented top-tier actor, mm. but the movies you were making, he was mostly making were not the greatest movies in the world when you got later on. Mm -hmm. So before we get into this film, uh, we need to go back in time. Gather round. As we put Kilmer in context. After a film festival premiere in Aruba the previous summer and European home video releases the previous winter, The Traveler made its debut in America on January 25th, 2011. Not long after another Kilmer-directed video release we recently covered, Gun. Chinese President Hu Jintao acknowledged a lot still needs to be done to improve human rights in his nation. Breakdowns in international outreach to Iran left sanctions as the only likely path to persuade Tehran to stop moving forward on nuclear weapons. In Egypt, Thousands of anti-government protesters clashed with the police, demanding the end of President Hosni Mubarak's rule. Meanwhile, tens of thousands of Yemenis demand that their U.S.-backed president step down. Thankfully, all those issues worked out great. <laughs> Things are so much better now. <laughs> Looking at the entertainment chart, number one on the Billboard chart was Hold It Against Me, a Britney Spears song I am wholly unfamiliar with. It was followed by Bruno Mars' Grenade and Katy Perry's Fireworks, as pop music tightens its steely grip on the chart. Most of the chart is foreign to me at this point, especially when I see a song called Rocketeer by Far East Movement and One Republic's Ryan Tedder. I was excited because I'm a huge fan of the film, but sadly, this song has nothing to do with the golden he helmet. It's not even very good. It's kind of just a bland, you know, pop song. I mean, it's not terrible. But I would have been way more excited if it had something to do with the actual movie. <laughs> In England, Bruno Mars was on top of the charts with Grenade, followed by Adele with Rolling in the Deep, which took a while to get across the pond in America. In third place was Jessie J with her debut single, Do It Like a Dude. This song never charted in America. You know, looking over the UK chart, there's a lot that I've never heard of. Uh, bands like Jody Connor, Agro Santos, and Wretch 32. Music just seems to be very territorial, and I'm not sure that there's a lot of crossover between the two countries, except for like the biggest songs at the top of the charts. In TV, football, sorry, American football, took over the top spot, as is usually the case in January, while the rest of the chart is a blend of reality shows and sitcoms, with American Idol and Jersey Shore taking three of the top five spots, while The Office, Two and a Half Men, Modern Family, and The Big Bang Theory fill out the bottom half, with a special episode of Hawaii Five-O and NCIS also in the mix. The Big Bang Theory was all the way down number 9, which must have been before it started dominating television. I couldn't find weekly rating charts for British television, but I did find this list of the top programs for 2011, and boy is it heavy with reality television. Number 1 for the year was The Wedding of William and Kate, which naturally, that's a big deal. 
while six of the top ten shows were reality shows. And I don't understand why people watch it. <laughs> yeah, I don't quite understand it myself. Uh, I did notice it's that there's a lot of old standbys inside of the, uh, the, the chart, including Coronation Street, the EastEnders, and Downton Abbey. Yes. So, yeah, soap operas are huge. <laughs> Is it normally how this plays out in the charts? It's just reality shows and these soap operas? Yeah, soap operas, like, oh my gosh. So EastEnders has been going on since, gosh, a long time. I mean, it's certainly Coronation Street first aired in like the 1960s and it's still going now. It's kind of like, it's on our kind of main terrestrial channels would be like these kind of soap operas. And we have loads. We have um, EastEnders, like Coronation Street, uh, Emmerdale, <laughs> Hollyoaks. Okay. I mean, like it's, it's kind of become like a tea time show for like British people. And then, yeah, no, I think reality shows are still huge also. We have things like The Only Way is Essex. Um, I've heard about that, yeah. We have Geordie Shaw, which is our version of your Jersey Shaw, <laughs> which is it's an, it's embarrassment to my people, I hate it. <laughs> is, that, um, is that your area? Is that what, yes, what Geordie yes, Shaw is? Yes, yes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm technically what you would refer to as a Geordie, and I hate that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because uh, Jersey Shore, the characters on Jersey Shore, are a lot from Long Island, which is where I live. And mm. so the very bad representation of where I live. Ah. <laughs> like, Geordie Shaw is literally just people in miniskirts getting drunk and embarrassing mm. themselves. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> we don't go on like this. Like, it's, just, it's really annoying, but people like it. So whatever. <laughs> so over in books on the New York Times bestseller list, The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest by Steve Larson was number one in its 33rd mm. week on the charts. So obviously doing very well. It was followed by all the usual suspects like uh, Tom Clancy and Dean Koontz and James Patterson. You know, book sales at the time really revolved around these franchise names. People would buy the next book from this author. Not It wasn't really important what the book was. It was just that the author they knew and they enjoyed their writing. Do you read books like that? Yeah, I love, um, I love Steve Larson. I'm a big fan of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series um, and, and the films as well. I prefer the, the Swedish language ones to the remakes, mm. but um, the books are great, yeah. I mean, I haven't read any um, Tom Clancy stuff, but I, I'm familiar. I mean, I know he has video games. I think I, I think that's a thing now. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, definitely the Steve Larson stuff was huge. I remember everybody was reading it, like all my friends. Like, we, we all had a copy of that book. <laughs> yeah, definitely a, a very entertaining series. Mm. Too bad, you know, it didn't quite keep carrying on because of, you know, his, <laughs> his death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really sad, <laughs> I know. Uh, over in nonfiction, Unbroken by Laura Hillebrand was leading the way in its eighth week on the charts. It was a story of an Olympic runner who was a prisoner of war in Japan in World War II. And eventually it was adapted by Angelina Jolie and the Coen brothers into a movie that uh, got three uh, technical nominations in the Oscars and won the AFI's Film of the Year. I don't know if you ever saw Unbroken. No, no. I mean, based on that synopsis, I would like to. I yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. It was definitely Oscar bait. Like it was, there's no way that this movie wasn't made thinking we're going to win awards. Yeah. Especially, I mean, it's Angelina Jolie and the Coen brothers. That's a real power combo. It wasn't bad. Um, you know, it's definitely a heart tugger. You know, it's, it's, it's intended to make you, you know, feel, but I don't think it quite achieved what they wanted it to achieve. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give it a go though. Sure. Um, over in the box office uh, in America, obviously the Traveler was not making an appearance. It was direct to video. Uh, <laughs> at the top of the charts was the Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis pay on to casual sex, no strings attached. Uh, it earned $26 million in its first week in theaters. Did you ever see that movie? I did. It was all right. <laughs> not really my thing, to be honest. Yeah. It was funny at that time, it was one of those uh, parallel thinking times where you had yeah. no strings attached and then you had friends with benefits with Justin Timberlake. 
And it was weird that these two movies came out with exactly almost the same, I think it was probably within a couple of months of each other with almost the same exact idea. It was just two, you know, two people who were having sex with each other and tried to keep the, the emotions out of it. Basically. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great either. It's okay. <laughs> it was followed by Seth Rogen's The Green Hornet, uh, which picked up nearly $22 million in its second week, with, but with a budget of $120 million. It's considered a pretty huge flop, uh, even though it earned $228 million at the global box office. So, I mean, overall, not so bad, but I'm sure it lost money because of all the promotion and everything. Yeah. No, I never caught that one. Yeah, I watched it in theaters and it was a bummer. <laughs> yeah, you know, especially it's directed by Michelle Gondry, who is really great. I just he tried something different. He wanted to do a superhero movie, I guess, and I just don't think it it didn't work. And it was a real sad because I like Seth Rogen. I love you know Michelle Gondry. Just together they didn't work out, and unfortunately it really you know blew up that whole franchise because they had big plans for it and nobody wanted to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. The Green Hornet was the only debut to make the top 10 that week. The rest of it was all holdovers and uh, Oscar, you know, bait films because it was the time of around the Oscars. Uh, so you had The King's Speech and The, Lema, the Dilemma, which was a pretty bad movie. Uh, True Grit, uh, Black Swan, The Fighter, Little Fockers, Tron Legacy, and Yogi Bear. N- not a great time at the movies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like The King's Speech and Black Swan. I, yeah. I thought they were great. Um, mm-hmm. The rest, not so great. <laughs> no. In England, it was a little bit of a different story. Um, Tangled made its debut after nine weeks out in America, earning $8 million in the top spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it beat out the fourth week of the King's Speech, which on its home turf. So uh, <laughs> the, the American cartoon comes over and beats out the British premiere film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were a few differences on the chart as the Jason Statham film, The Mechanic, opened earlier in England than it did in America, earning the fourth spot while the Clint Eastwood-directed Matt Damon film Hereafter finally made its British bow months after it was released in America, and that came in at seventh in its first week. Mm-hmm. In 10th place was How Do You Know? Do you know this movie, How Do You Know? No, I don't, actually. Yeah, when I saw this name, I was like, what is How Do You Know? And I mean, 10th place, that's still that's a pretty big debut. And the thing is, this movie came out a month earlier in America. It was directed by James L. Brooks, a really mm-hmm. big you know, comedic director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It featured Reese Witherspoon, Owen Wilson, Paul Rudd, and Jack Nicholson. How have I missed this? What? <laughs> that's, that's the same reaction I had. What the hell? The problem is, it only made $7 million in its first week in America. Oh, dear. <laughs> that, that's not good. No. Especially since it cost $120 million to make. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I have no memory of this film at all. It must have just came and went. Mm. You know, I was reading the synopsis, and nothing about it sparks anything. After being cut from the USA softball team and feeling a bit past her prime, Lisa finds herself evaluating her life and in the middle of a love triangle as a corporate guy in crisis competes with her current baseball playing beau. That's so nothing. (laughs) Nothing to me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, why would you spend $120 million on a movie like that? No, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't even, you know, people like Reese Witherspoon, obviously, and people love Paul Rudd and Jack Nicholson has, uh, you know, not as many fans now, but you know, he was still a big name to spend $120 million on a a love triangle movie is madness. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently there were a lot of recuts and reshoots and everything that ended up driving the budget up. And obviously you had four big names and a big name director. So they all took a cut. If you figure maybe they all made, you know, between 10 to $20 million. There's mm-hmm. your budget right there. And <laughs> that's too many big names for a movie, especially a, ro- a, a romantic comedy. How do you do that? Yeah, I'm going to have to watch this out of pure curiosity now because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm confused. 
Yeah, a lot of times I'll find a movie on these charts as I do these episodes, and I'm like, I've never even heard of that. And I'll go back and look at it, and there's a reason why I never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just not that great. <laughs> of course. So um, it's time to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back, and we'll talk about The Traveler. So let's get into this film. Uh, a director video release, The Traveler, is written by first-time feature scripter Joseph C. Muscat, uh, he has a few TV drama credits under his belt, including episodes of White Collar and Madam Secretary. It's directed by Michael Oblowitz. He's a, actually a pretty prolific director of music videos and TV movies. Uh, nothing on his IMDb credits really stands out. Nothing that really popped as, oh, I've heard that or I've seen that. But the guy's been working since 1979. He has, he's part of this industry. Uh, he's, he's paid his, his dues. And the thing that I really noticed that really stood out to me he directed the music video for Curtis Blow's iconic rap song, Basketball. I don't know if you know the song, Basketball. I don't. It's a big deal in the rap scene in America. And the video is a must watch if you haven't seen it, which you haven't since you just said that. Okay. It's on YouTube. Go check it out when you have a chance. Curtis Blow's Basketball. You will not believe what you're watching. <laughs> okay, <laughs> is, I'm going to make a note of that. <laughs> it is such a time capsule of its era. The song itself, the video, everything about it. It's ridiculous. Awesome. <laughs> so as we dive into The Traveler, we open with this little girl playing with her cat out in the field, which is that a thing people do? <laughs> like, do you take your cat out to play in the field? I, I don't think that's something that happens. Not me personally, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we find out the cat's name is Shining, which I mean, instantly now we know based on the dramatic music in the background, this cat is named either after the King book or the Kubrick film. And we know something bad is going to happen, right? Immediately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this movie does not let, waste any time to getting us into the horror. And so what happens is that this little girl is snatched up. She's calling for her daddy, which for me, I'm, I have a daughter. And anytime any kid gets in danger in a movie, I'm instantly like, oh, oh my God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that happens. And we cut to the film's titles. They are intercut uh, extremely slow motion shots of the abduction with the credits. And somehow the music becomes even more dramatic. This movie is just getting us right into it. <laughs> Yeah, the, the music choices are, are certainly a choice in this film. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get onto that later, but sometimes I'm just like, can you just calm down, please? <laughs> so yeah. there's an on-screen title, which it says it's Christmas Eve. You could easily miss it because it's the exact same font and size as the rest of the credits. I thought there actually is an actor named Christmas Eve in this movie. <laughs> and, and so I, I realized... I realize it is Christmas. Obviously, there's decorations everywhere. They're playing Christmas music. It's like, okay, you didn't really need to give us a title. We know it's Christmas. You made it perfectly clear. Yeah, they make it so obvious. You know, they've got that shot of like the really depressing look and sort of lights outside and the mm -hmm. Christmas tree. It's like, okay, guys, we get it. We yeah. get it. And the next scene, they spend half the time talking about Christmas. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, what do you got plans for? Where are you going to go for Christmas? What do you... And it's like, you didn't need to give us a title. You know, this movie is laying everything out right in front of you. They want to, they either think you're an idiot or they want to make sure that you don't miss anything, which is <laughs> hard to say because there's not a whole lot to this movie. No, it's, uh, it's, it's quite funny. Like, there's just too much exposition and it's like, okay, we, we get it. We get it, guys. Just, just yeah. chill out. <laughs> So we briefly meet some of the cops who are on duty in this police station mm -hmm. uh, as they make fun of each other for various things. 
and we find out that two of the cops are in a relationship, uh, which we know is going to be a thing. This is a horror film. If you have two people who are paired off, something bad is going to happen with those two people. Yeah, That's just the, the way it works. Yeah, no, I just think um, one of them is called Deputy Sherwood, and they keep calling them like Robin Hood, and there's like a million Robin Hood references. Yes. Like, oh my God. <laughs> it's so forced. <laughs> it is. Everything about this film is smacking you in the face because they they just I, I honestly they think you're a moron if you're watching this movie, which maybe is the case because like, you know we no, chose I, to watch this movie. I picked about. I mean, I, I was kind of drawn in. I was like, ooh, it's it's a horror film, Christmas Eve, and then I was like, I have regrets now. <laughs> but it's, it's fine. <laughs> So courtesy of, a again, a very helpful door sign, because we don't want to miss anything, we introduced to Detective Alexander Black. So uh, we assume that this is the guy we're focusing on in this movie. You know, he's listening to a voicemail from what we assume is his wife, and she's telling him that she needs time, they have, things haven't been the same for them since Mary passed away, whoever Mary is, and she's taking her kids to her parents for the holidays. So we know there's some serious family drama here. And again, the movie wants to make sure you know that because there's an engraving on his pen that says the best daddy in the world. Again, we do not need this much detail this early in this film to know something is wrong. Alex is definitely a broken man. Yes, certainly. It's, uh, it just punches you in the face, this film. It really does. <laughs> so we've got our situation. We know the, the players now. And now the front door of the station opens with a crack of thunder, a flash of lightning, and here is the man himself, Val Kilmer, in the doorway, that luxurious head of hair, mm. somehow, despite being out in the rain, is bone dry and immaculate. <laughs> this is like the best entrance ever, though. Just walks in the middle of Christmas Eve, just this guy. It's like, just who is this guy? <laughs> Doesn't really say much, you know? Nope, no, nope. he's just a presence. And that's the thing, a lot of the late Kilmer films he is a presence more than a performer. Yes. And, you know, you think, you, like you said, you've seen Top Gun. Mm -hmm. Picture, you know, Iceman, and then picture this guy. It's almost like they're two totally different people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you can't even imagine that this Iceman became the Traveler, or whatever you want to call him, because we'll talk mm -hmm. about who the Traveler is at some point, because not, no point in this film is anybody referenced to as the Traveler. No, exactly. <laughs> Great. <laughs> So Kilmer approaches the nervous desk clerk and after staring at him forever, like the longest pause I think I've ever heard, he says, I'd like to make a confession. The clerk says, confess to what? Another huge pause. Like you heard it in the intro. It takes forever. Murder. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like this movie, if you did this in an acting class people would be like what are you doing like stop it like yes <laughs> try you're again so, <laughs> yeah you're so over the top this is too much mm. and the close-ups here on kilmer's face i never thought i'd be so intimately knowledgeable of his pores right yeah like the, the thing of his no on his nose i was like whoa <laughs> like is that part of the horror <laughs> like, like, now we've got cronenberg again <laughs> we can do Not very in i mean come on there are creams for that like <laughs> Yeah, no, it's an interesting choice, that one. <laughs> oh, my God. So, and, they, and they shoot back to that, that close-up about four or five times in that scene. Like, yeah. And I think it actually gets closer at points because <laughs> we, we hardly see, like, his eyes at one point. I think it's just his, like, nose and mouth. It's really oh. weird. He has a bit of a face-off with the cops here in the station, refuses to listen to their commands, and refuses to put his hands on his head 
And I'm not sure they just give up and take him in the back. Isn't white privilege nice? I also absolutely love um, the clerk. At the, he just gets his gun out and just points it at him. Oh, and yeah. like, you wouldn't do that in a police station, though. Like, what kind yeah. of clerk just goes, ah, and just gets his gun out and starts shouting for backup? It's like, no. I don't, I don't know if it's different across the pond, but it just would not happen here. That's just yeah. not I mean, some of the cops, maybe. But first yeah. of all, I don't think I would have given that guy a gun. He's a bit nervous to have a gun in his hand. He's not the best uh, police officer I've ever seen, I must admit. <laughs> no, I have a hard time understanding how he got his job. <laughs> so after they take, you know, weirdo in the back, they some sheriffs show up, or maybe state troopers. I'm not sure who these guys were. They didn't introduce themselves. They just show up. Uh, <laughs> and they tell them, oh, it's going to be a quiet night because we had to shut down the ramp because of a road accident. And Alex says, well, it was already going to be a slow night because it's a holiday. Never mentions some guy just walked in and said, I have to confess a murder. Yeah, just, oh, guys, it's Christmas again, in case you missed that. It's like, we know it's Christmas. We know. Like, how did you not say we have a murderer here? Like that, or a confessed yeah, murderer? Like, uh, this guy just confessed to murder. Yeah. I mean, I get horror film logic is often a problem. Yes. If true. people followed logic, there wouldn't be horror films. Yeah, very true. But come on, this is over the top for that. Yeah. Brilliant. I just wanted to also mention this film lingers on shots. I know. Like you wouldn't believe because after the sheriffs leave, the desk clerk is on screen for almost a minute cleaning his glasses and writing in his notebook. Just doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I mean, this movie runs 96 minutes. It's pretty tight. 96 minutes. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's my favorite length of film. I love a movie that checks in an hour and a half, mm. but I want to say like, Wait, did it need to be 96 minutes? Because there seems like there's a lot of padding here. And that's going to come up a lot in this film. Yeah. They stretch things out. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Back in the interrogation room, the cops are grilling Kilmer. And he's playing mind games with them. The only thing is, I can't focus on anything except the light blinking behind them. Oh, it's so irritating. <laughs> like, if, like, if you have epilepsy, do not watch this film. No. Or like, if you don't, if you like, don't like lights, just don't watch it. Yeah, flashing lights are, are a big issue in this movie. Yeah. And I get that they want to make it seem like something's off and something's wrong in this movie, but oh, there's got to be something less like cliched than you know blinking fluorescent lights. Yeah, it just it gave me a headache, and I'm normally fine with that kind of thing. I'm just like, come on, guys. Kilmer tells Alex that his name is Nobody. Oh, great. You know, here's Nobody. And then he throws out a bunch of bumper sticker slogans. And then he just drops the fact, oh, I killed six people. <laughs> and then leaves the room to get fingerprinted it's like this movie doesn't doesn't like try to build anything it just goes boom six people boom com- confess the murder boom you know everything is just in your face yeah and then the guy's like okay mr nobody and it's like you wouldn't write that down though that's oh. <laughs> no. so stupid and then he's got like this little sort of um blackboard that he holds up for his um what they called lineup yeah, the mug shot. Um, yeah mug shot yeah thank you um and it's got like mr nobody on it and i'm like yeah what? Why? <laughs> Why would you ever do that if you're the cops? Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what they do in England, but they just put John Doe if they don't know the person's name in America. Yes, exactly. John or Jane Doe, yeah. That's just standard. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> Janie and her cop buddy are getting busy in the break room, and Janie thinks she sees Mr. Nobody there, but he's not there. So, I mean, okay, we we're, I think, maybe like 10, 15 minutes into this movie, and we're already deep into the supernatural stuff because this movie doesn't want to be anything but creepy. It has no plot to deal with, so it wants to build atmosphere, mm. especially in the next scene during the mugshot, as you mentioned. The, the cop takes a shot, 
and blood starts flowing over Mr. Nobody's head. So so kind of cool visual, I admit. You know, interesting to look at, and then it disappears. Mm. So now you've got him reappearing in different spots of the cop station. You've got him flowing blood on his head. Then they try to take fingerprints, and he has no fingerprints, which, okay, well, that's weird. And then they put him in the cell, and then they see him walking around the police station. <laughs> and then when they look at the mugshot, he has no head. Oh, it's so dumb. Like, <laughs> I, I know, like, you know, I, I really shouldn't take this too seriously, but, like, when I think about things like fingerprints, I think about Seven and how the character in Seven physically, like, razored his off. Mm-hmm. And there were like loads. There was loads of interesting things they could have done with this, yeah. but they just offer absolutely no explanation at all. They're just no. like, "Oh, we haven't got any fingerprints," and they're just like, "Okay." And it's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> "Come on, man." Yeah, I mean, what's the reason? I get, you know, as I said, the logic in this film is flawed. It's absolutely flawed. It's a lot horror film again, so it should have some flaws. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Mm. But you have this super creepy dude who claims he killed six people. You have all this stuff happening. People are seeing blood, missing heads, showing him up. And they allow their least capable cop to walk him by himself to his cell. Yeah. Why would you ever do this? There's nothing else happening in this police station. You should all be working in this case. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't make oh. any sense. And by the way, when do you raise some sort of alarm that something is wrong here? At what point, how, how many things have to happen before you say, we need help? I remember that there is a, I can't remember exactly where in the film it is, but like, they're like, oh, we need help. And then the guy's like, we're the police, who can we call? And it's like, you could call lots of people. <laughs> you could call- More cops? More cops, yeah. Or you could, any, yeah, you could call anybody. <laughs> There's a thing, a term called backup. Yeah. Have they yeah. never heard yeah. of backup? There's backup or there's the next town over or something, you know, like, come on. Whatever happens in this film to these cops, they kind of deserve it at this point. So dumb. <laughs> I do appreciate one of the things that drives me nuts about movies and TV shows that are spooky or in you know scary situations is why nobody turns on a light in a place. Yeah. Like, why does it always have to be dark? And I appreciate that they actually tried to explain this away by saying all the bulbs in the storage unit were broken. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay. They actually thought about why is it so dark in this co- in this station? Well, there are no broken all broken bulbs again. Wait, why are all the bulbs broken? That's a problem. <laughs> we need help. <laughs> Something bad is happening here. Yeah. I mean, in real life, if two of these things happen to you, you'd mm. leave wherever you are. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't say, well, let's see what happens. You'd say, something bad is happening here, and I need to go somewhere else and get help. <laughs> Not these guys. These guys are, are willing to put themselves in the line of fire for no apparent reason. Yeah. (laughs) We're back with Detective Black, and he's talking to his wife on the phone, and we get another flashback to Mary's abduction. This with a bit of added info, because we find out that Black was actually there, but he went away for some reason, because she called, she was like, where are you, daddy? And and I'm like, okay, so I'm wondering, was he involved in this somehow? I'm I'm curious now. I'm like, oh, there might be a story here. (laughs) Imagine that, a story in a movie. And then another cop has a flashback. This movie loves flashbacks. There Mm -hmm. are there's almost as many flashbacks as there are present day scenes in this movie. Mm-hmm. So the one cop has a flashback to them beating a drifter that black accuses of, of abducting and killing his daughter. Oh, this scene here. <laughs> oh my God. So <laughs> then we get the most ridiculous piece of exposition where the cop points out to his buddy that all of us were there when this beating happened. All the people here in the, in the, in the, in the police station were there the night of this beating. 
It's mm. like, well, come on. You might as well just turn around, face the audience and say, you need to understand that all these people were here because there's no reason for this scene otherwise. That guy was there. I think he understands who was in the station and who was not in the station. He knows what's happening. It, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, again, this movie does not trust you in any way to understand what's happening. Yeah, and I think that beaten scene is like, it's just really uncomfortable as well. Like they're hitting him with a shovel. They're oh doing God. all this stuff and they put a bag over his head. And I'm just like, guys, it's you can't thrilling. behave like this. <laughs> yeah, it, it isn't one of the more brutal scenes I've ever seen yeah. happen in a movie. Yeah, like I, when I looked this up before I first watched it, obviously I saw that it was R-rated. So I was like, ooh, mm -hmm. why is it R-rated? And then obviously it, it makes a lot of sense now that I've seen it. But like, I just feel like it could have been done so much better. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, no, the effects are fine. It's just that it's just too make much. Any sense. <laughs> so, you remember how I mentioned that there's padding in this film? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the cops says, "I'm gonna go check something out," and he goes into this hallway. I think it's in the basement, perhaps of the of the police station, mm -hmm. which I also believe is part of the Silent Hill universe because the paint is peeling off the walls it's just it's everything about this hallway is falling apart when nothing i mean yeah the station has some broken bulbs here and there but not this bad it's not it's not falling apart like this hallway it's the most decrepit looking sort of building and it's just like is the budget this bad like, I just don't <laughs> it's funny because we were watching a recent episode of the movie gun and mm -hmm. the cops keep referencing how bad their budgets are so maybe it's just a common thing for, for police stations to be falling apart <laughs> So he walks down this hallway. I actually clocked it. It's one minute and 40 seconds of no, no words of him just walking down a hallway. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of time, but when you're watching somebody walk down a hallway for a minute and 40 seconds, it's forever. That's boring, yeah. <laughs> it's stunningly long how, and I'm like, What's gonna happen? Like, what's happening? Like, I get building tension. I build. I get building suspense. What's gonna happen? But mm. when you get over a minute, you're like, mm, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> you're just, ha you know, pulling this out. And then when we get to a minute forty, it's really over the top. And just, I'm done with this moment. I need to move on to something else. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, we do because the cop is pulled into a cell, and he's whipped, and his tongue is cut out. <laughs> I was like, and it's got like the loudest classical music as well. And it's like, <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Like, I turned it down. I was like, stop. <laughs> and it just, it really detracted from the scene. I was like, why oh, is the music so loud? Yeah. Like, who was your sound mixer on this? Like, it just, it just doesn't work. <laughs> no. And they intercut the beating and the cutting of his tongue with flashbacks to the beating of the drifter. And so, like, we're 37 minutes into this film. There's no surprises left. We know exactly what the story is in this movie. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. <laughs> the beating of the drifter is obviously tied to what's happening to these cops. Mm. And so if they take one of them and they're matching it to what he did in that room, you immediately say, well, the rest of them are going to have the same thing happen to them. We, we, there's, no, there's no shock. There's no, no twists anymore. That's really bad. <laughs> And like that tongue cutting scene, like I say, like some of the gory moments are good, and I just wish that it had been reserved for a better film. <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> you know, like cutting someone's tongue out is is it is brutal, right? And you know, there's yeah. like quite a lot of examples of that in film. You know, like like Old Boy is quite a famous one of that. Um, and I just, you know, it can be quite, you know, uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. It just just oh, didn't yeah. work. And I was like. I was like kind of laughing because of like the really over the top classical music and the flashbacks. <laughs> and I was like, man, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but I'm just yeah. like, 
no, it just does not work. <laughs> yeah, I think of Ichi the Killer. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but there's a horrifying tongue-cutting scene in that movie that just... I've been told to watch this um, yeah. by a couple of my horror friends, so I will, I'll give that a go. <laughs> I mean, the what's, yeah, I won't say anything else. I don't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I will let you know if I watch it. <laughs> so we're back, uh, as you mentioned before, where they said, maybe we should call for help. That's the front desk guy. He says that. He also <laughs> says, maybe we shouldn't split up. I thought this guy yeah. was a loser, but he knows what's happening. No, everybody should be listening to this dude. Like, listen to him. He knows he's in a horror film. <laughs> Yeah, I wrote that down as well. It's very self-aware. <laughs> it's very like, hey, guys, we probably shouldn't do that. But I feel sorry for him because like yeah. everybody in the um, in the station is like, oh, you're such an idiot. Oh, oh, we don't like you, fat ass. And it's like, come on, man. Like, give this guy a break. Like, he's trying. Yeah, and he's, I honestly... He's too in, in the shed, but he's trying. <laughs> yeah, in the flashback of the beating of the drifter, mm. I don't think he does much in that scene. Like, I don't think he's really... He actually says, don't do this. He tries to help, I think, and I think he checks up on the guy as well. Um, yeah, so why? Yeah. That's, that's something that bothers me. We'll, we'll get to that when, when something happens later on. Mm. But that, his participation in this whole thing really bothers me. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like the movie has no heroes, and that's a problem. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, I know horror films are really about the villain, the bad guy, mm-hmm. and his story or her story. Um, but this movie lacks anybody to cheer for, yeah, and that's a problem hate everyone i think yeah. or you're just indifferent which is kind of worse that's oh yeah you, do, you like, don't care about these people I, I, I made a note about that i don't care i actually wrote down at mm. one point literally yeah, yeah. <laughs> show me why i should care yeah yeah. So the cops do a perimeter search of the station and a dead cat falls from the sky onto one of them, which I, I had to rewind because I was like, I, I, thunk, I think I lost interest at this point. And then I was like, wait, what the hell just happened? <laughs> <laughs> and the better part about it is if you look at it, it's a stuffed animal. It's so obviously a oh, stuffed animal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so the cat is Mary's cat. And, you know, obviously it's all coming together now. We know some, what's happening here. And now it's Pine's turn, another one of the cop, Pine, his turn to talk about the beating. And he refers to the guy they're beating as the drifter. And as I said before, they only refer to him as the drifter or Mr. Nobody. And the movie's called The Traveler. Why? <laughs> Did you yeah. catch anything in this movie that would make you call this movie The Traveler? Like, literally, no. Like, I went and read up on this as well, and I was just like, nope. <laughs> nope, don't understand. No. <laughs> make any sense. Yeah, I mean... It's not even interesting, like like a title where you'd say, "Oh, what's that about?" Mm. It's just a bland, generic term, the traveler. Like they could have, yeah. they could have called this so many other things to make me want to watch it. The tra- I would never have picked out this film to watch if it wasn't Val Kilmer and I wasn't doing the show. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and I think you know it's funny because you mentioned the cat thing as well, and again, that that is a scene that should be horrifying. But mm-hmm. it's just done so badly to the point where you're laughing at it. And it's like, <laughs> that, that wasn't the intention. No. Like, there's a lot of crappy B-movie horrors where, you know, they try to shock you and they just fail. And mm-hmm. I think this is a prime example of that. <laughs> Absolutely. We get a more complete view of the beating of the drifter. And like you said, it's insane. I just, I've, I put down a list of everything that happens to this guy. They put a rope around his neck and hang him. They put a bag on his head. They whip him with a belt. They hit him with a shovel. And then they stab him with a pen. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Galloy goes off and explains exactly what happens and then reveals the drifter is in a coma at the hospital. Mm. Can somebody explain to me what these cops said when they brought him to the hospital? 
Like, what, what did they, how did they, what was the story when they bring in a guy who's covered in bruises and welts, he's been stabbed, and he's missing his tongue? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> like, the hospital was like, what the, like, like guys, what happened here? Yeah, it's like, surely they'd have to, like, have a record of something, you know, yeah. just, oh, we've brought in this patient, like, um, hi, <laughs> what's going on here, you know, oh my god. So many plot holes. It just doesn't make any sense at all. And that cell where they were beating him in the in jail would have been covered in blood. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like you cut somebody's tongue out, there's a lot of blood involved. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not an easy task, to be honest. No, I can't. Uh, so gross. Watch Ichi. <laughs> so as Kilmer narrates what's going on here, which becomes a, a theme in the film, uh, Gil- Gilroy is killed with a noose. And again, this is just another example of this film padding things out to an unbelievable degree. This killing takes forever. Yes. I mean, I could have went and made a cup of tea and come back, and I still think he would have been hanging there dying from being uh, strung up. And then despite the fact that there's so many reasons to say this is supernatural. This is nothing normal. This is totally out of the normal. They keep trying to make excuses as to why this is happening. And it's so dumb. You're the only people in this police station. There's this guy who has all this weird stuff happening. And you keep going, well, maybe this happened. No, no. It's that guy. Something's up. We need to get out of here. (laughs) This is a bad scene. They just spend so much time ignoring this guy as well. And it's like, are you going to do anything? Are you just going to leave him in this room to just stare at you like ominously? It's like, I keeps messing with you. (laughs) Exactly. Like at some point, I was just been like, "Nah, let's get out of here. This is not worth it." Yeah, exactly. Like if we leave the station, surely we will be fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so oh. after some discussion, they decide to check on the guy in the coma, who they find out died early in the evening, at the same time the drifter came in. Dun dun dun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what we didn't know this? We didn't understand that this is all connected. Really? Oh you even showed us the logbook with the time in it. <laughs> Oh, this movie like I'd love to have been in on the like the, the the production meetings as they talk about well we've got to show this we've got to show that didn't somebody in that room maybe the guy who plays the cop at the front desk goes hey maybe we don't have to do that yeah. <laughs> maybe this is going to work better if we do something else we need to make it really obvious guys come on <laughs> the audience <laughs> is stupid like, we need to spell it out like no yeah. you know did you find it weird that all the phones are very old style landlines they had a paper Rolodex when they were looking up the phone number of the hospital. Nobody has a cell phone. Yeah. I mean, the computer they use to look up to uh, enter the, uh, the, the mugshots is ancient. Yeah. Was this supposed to be a period film? What era is this? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, those computers, like, they're massive. Like, yeah. What is this? <laughs> so if it's supposed to be a period film, why? Yeah. <laughs> what is the point? What is that accomplished by setting this movie in the past? Yeah, like, it's weird because it was in, like, 2010, wasn't it? Like, it feels like it was filmed so much earlier than that. And I'm just like, I don't understand why. Like, is there a benefit to this? (laughs) They definitely spend a lot of time, you know, focusing on those phones. They show you a lot of shots of those old-style phones. And I started to think, like, what's the benefit? I I mean, like, I, you know... I've always thought, you know, when you have to do a, a plot or a heist kind of storyline, it's kind of better to set it a little before cell phones and the internet because mm. cell phones and the internet solve almost everything. You know, anytime you can't get a hold of somebody, that doesn't make any sense anymore because you can always get a hold of somebody. Yeah. You know, unless you, you create some really forced reason why you can't get a hold of them. So you, you put it in the period. But nothing in this film relates to that. There's no reason 
anything in here has to happen now or then. It's all just this weird choice to set it in the past, but you know, not make actual reference to that. Yeah, I don't get it either. <laughs> it doesn't work. So the two people who are hooking up, the two cops who are hooking up, go looking for the sheriffs who they want. I guess they finally decided, hey, we need some help. Let's go find those two guys who were here before. Finally. While Black is interrogating nobody, and we get this lengthy sequence where nothing happens. Yeah. There's just literally nothing happens. They're just talking. And I was like, we know that, that nobody's going to kill all the cops. That's going to happen, guaranteed. All the cops are going to be killed in the way that they killed the, or abused the drifter at that scene. Mm. And so what, I was just wasting time waiting for them to die. Like, is that what this movie is about? Is just death is inevitable and we have to just sit and wait for it? Is this some weird meta commentary? I don't get it. Yeah, no, I was like, am I missing something here? Like, is there something in this conversation that I actually, it, it just was so boring. <laughs> yeah. And I, I realized this and there was still 20 minutes left in the film. So when I looked at that, I said, oh boy, 20 minutes of this, <laughs> this is not good. And then we find out that Janie's boyfriend, uh, who they're out in the field, he gets killed in the woods and she gives this legitimate scream queen outburst when that happens. Her scream is so intense. And then she runs back to the car like a maniac and drives to the precinct, like just doesn't care what's happening. Mm. I found the scene so insulting. Mm -hmm. This is the one woman police officer in this film. Yeah. And she acts like a frightened teenager mm. when things go wrong. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're a cop. Yeah. How did she get a job in the police force if she can't even? And then you have like this obnoxious like rock music as well, which is again mm. blasting for some unknown reason. And then she's like driving and like hysterical. And I'm just like, oh, Jesus, just stop. Yeah. Like, oh, it's obnoxious. If you reverse those two characters, if you made mm. Janie dead and the cop be the one who screams and runs away, mm. would anybody accept that? It seems like it's purely based on the stereotype of a woman panicking mm. over something like this. And that's really just not right for this film. It yeah. doesn't make any sense that because she's a woman, she freaks out. Yeah, I know exactly. I mean, certainly if you're a cop, you would expect, you know, you would have psychological training to ensure you're able to deal with these kind of things. So like, Absolutely. I just, so posi positioning her as some sort of weak woman who just runs away from things is, is it, it's insulting. You're right. Yeah. Like it's just so stupid. It yeah, just, I, none of these characters have any depth to them whatsoever. No, um, not at all. And like you say, there's no reason to care about them. So you're just like, all right. <laughs> when are they going to die? <laughs> yeah, literally. Oh, come on then. <laughs> so as we expect, Janie now is the next one to die because she just, her boyfriend just got killed. Mm. I don't understand this one at all because she gets suffocated in the cop car. Mm. Uh, somehow the bag ends up over her head, which I was like, how, what? <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> but then after she gets, you know, suffocated to death, by the way, like, I, I mean, I get it. There's supernatural elements here. Wouldn't you just poke a hole in the mouth spot? It's a plastic bag. Sure. Poke a hole so you can breathe. <laughs> like, yeah. like, again, these people have no training, have no thought, no, no survival instincts. The first thing I would do is poke a hole in the bag that's choking me. I can, yeah. I can handle that. But then her head explodes, I think, or it's cut off because there's blood all over the windshield now. That would not happen if you suffocate someone with a bag. <laughs> now, and then I think back because... All the other deaths were matching what happened with the drifter. Mm. They never cut his head off. No, they suffocated him, I think, but they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that? <laughs> I have to think that maybe they were talking to the FX guys and the, the guy doing the FX was like, hey, I got a really good blood splatter. 
but we yeah. haven't used it yet in this movie. Can we just throw it in there? Like, yeah, sure, man. Like, <laughs> where do you want to put it? <laughs> it? It doesn't matter that it has nothing to do with this movie, but yeah, let's just get, throw blood all over the windshield. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I guess, you know, I started thinking about because they try to break open the car to save her and they, they shoot the car many times. <laughs> I mean, I get. I guess maybe cop cars have bulletproof glass. I don't know if they do or not, but it seemed ridiculous that they couldn't break any of the glass in this in this car. I mean, I've seen lots of. I mean, again, movies—they're not real, but I've seen lots of movies where if you shoot at a cop car, the glass breaks. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. like, you know, how many scenes have we seen where somebody shoots through a windshield and they have to clear out the glass and still be able to see? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of things that just logically do not make sense, and it's like, okay, first of all, why are you shooting the car? Second of all, yeah. why can you not shoot the glass out of the car? <laughs> yeah, this does not like. <laughs> even if we, even if we worried about the idea that you might actually shoot Janie. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Come on, guys. It's just trigger happy. Shoot, shoot to the back of the windows, not the front windshield where she's sitting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Christ. Yeah, they did the worst cop department ever, honestly. Yes. So we have 14 <laughs> minutes left now. 14 mm. minutes. We've only spent, that was six minutes to kill one character. Yeah. Like 14 minutes of what? <laughs> and then we have two characters we know we still have to kill. Mm. So we have to speed things up a little bit. So we go right into the next killing. There's no story between Jamie being killed and the next one. Just like, let's kill another one. And it's the same template. We've got what happened to them with the drifter and then what happened to them and they're dead. And so now we get the final showdown between Mm. Black and Nobody. And I'm like, okay, well, will Nobody get stopped by Black? Because usually that's how it works is that you have the final girl, right? Mm -hmm. In, In horror and mm-hmm. so Black is going to be the final girl, one would assume, in this film. Yeah. Well, nobody reveals he actually did kill Mary, <laughs> which goes <laughs> against everything we've gone, you know, at this point, because we've all thought that they killed the Drifter for no reason, right? That was what you thought. Mm-hmm. And that he was seeking revenge. Well, the and problem I- is, he deserved it. <laughs> he, deserved- <laughs> he was the one who killed this child. <laughs> oh, <it's> so stupid. <laughs> And I was like, what? Look, I was so ready for Mr. Nobody to reveal that Black killed his own kid. Mm. Like, that there was something happening there and that Black was the bad guy and that this was nobody being like the the conscience of the film and bringing vengeance back on Mm -hmm. the part of the daughter. Yeah. Nope. Makes sense. Yeah, it would have been a perfect, you know, a perfect twist ending, you know, for a terrible movie, but a perfect twist ending for a better film, obviously. (laughs) But no, he, he just killed the daughter and... They killed the person who killed his daughter, and now he's going to kill them because he, they killed him. And it's like, this is all meaningless. <laughs> no, there's nobody to root for. There's nobody, no, there's nothing good here. There's no heroes. There's no reason. Mm. There's, there's no twists. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think even a good horror film would make the effort to at least give you sympathy towards some characters. Like mm-hmm. even even good horror films give you sympathy towards villains, for example. Yeah. There's just none of that here. Nothing <laughs> you have no sympathy or attachment to anybody. Everyone is so just two dimensional and terrible. <laughs> yeah, if any, and, you know, I held out hope. I mean, I was mm-hmm. bored from bored for most of the film, but yeah, at that point, I was like, I'm done. That's like, well, who cares what yeah. happens next? Yeah, I was like, come on, this, that was just such an anticlimactic like moment. Like, oh no. <laughs> So it gets crazier though because now <laughs> oh this nope. next bit, yeah <laughs> yeah so, so black realizes somehow i don't know how he quite figured this out that hearing the confession is how nobody kills people and so when he confesses to their murder then they get killed mm-hmm. so he thinks 
you know what I'll do? I'll stab myself in the ear so I can't hear the confession. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, okay, again, I have to think that the FX guy, after he got done cutting off the head of the cop, went, oh, hold on, I got another one. I got two fake ears, and we can make ble blood come out of the ears. What can we do with that? Oh, I got an idea for that. Let's stab the cop in the ears for no reason. Because I'm pretty certain that it didn't matter who heard the confession because there are murders where nobody's in the room with nobody when they happen. So nobody has to hear the confession for it to, to work. Mm. It's dumb. <laughs> so he stabs himself in the ears, thinks he's going to get away with this now, and runs away and runs into Mary, his daughter, who's I now back in the film. <laughs> She's hiding under a desk, and she tells him how to stop nobody. She has the secret. <laughs> All he has to do is say his name. What did you think was going to be the name when she said, you just have to say his name? I had no idea. I thought perhaps <laughs> Lucifer, Satan, some sort of, you know, some sort of demon name, Beelzebub, you know, something, yeah, something interesting. Yeah. Uh -huh. The name you have to say is Stanley Harpidian. <laughs> what kind of name is that? This is easily the goofiest villain weakness I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Just say his name well. <laughs> Stanley Harpidian. It's so normal and bland. Mm -hmm. it the payoff there's no payoff it's just like what <laughs> when she said stanley harpidian i was like are you kidding like what i actually want rewound it i said stanley harpidian sorry who is this like <laughs> <laughs> like I, it was it a name that we heard before no no it no. has nothing to do with anything it's just this guy's name we just like went on like random generator.com <laughs> and just put in like a name like yeah that'll do guys <laughs> so he says the name and the drifter is dead and I'm like, what the hell? That's <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. It's so dumb. And then we follow that up with Mary saying to, you know, Black, thank you, Daddy. I love you. I have to go now. Like, yeah, like, oh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. This movie doesn't care about its characters. No. It just needs to move forward. It's just like, I don't care what happens. I don't care any motivation. I don't care about any emotion. Just keep moving forward. <laughs> Yeah, you have to get to that 96 minutes. <laughs> Usually if you're going to kind of play on the kind of disgruntled cop who's lost their daughter, you'd at least have some sentimental moment or some kind of reason to, to actually care about them. And that just does not happen. You I don't know? think he even hugs her. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, normally there'd be like music and it's like, I have to go now. Like, no, there's none of that. It's just got to go. Bye. And you're like, are you for real? <laughs> she doesn't even like vanish or anything. She climbs the stairs and goes up, up the building. <laughs> Like normally there'd be like a dramatic fade into like the afterlife or something, but nah. Yeah, she walks into a bright light or yeah, exactly. something. <sighs> but it's all what over. What a film. What a film. It's just all over now. And here's the thing. You've got multiple bodies around this police station and one cop left. <laughs> you think he's not getting charged with their murders? Yeah, what do you think's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> so again, nothing good has come of this film. There's, he's, there's no bet. Like, he's not going back with his family. He's mm. now deaf. He's probably going to be charged with all these murders. <laughs> this movie's a nightmare. <laughs> nothing was gained from the beginning to the end. There was no plot progression. It was what? just something happened, really. Yeah. It, 
I just think they were just trying to play with some really fun set pieces and it just didn't mm-hmm. work. Like that was the sole reason for making this film. Oh, let's just murder people. And it's like, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's been done before, lads. We need to think of something better than this. <laughs> I oh, thought maybe like, is there a way to fix this? Do you think there's a way to make this better? Probably several ways. <laughs> <laughs> I think honestly, the, the big thing for me would be some bloody character development. That would be nice, you know, like make us care about the characters, make us care about the daughter's death. Even that's pretty underwhelming. It's just like why? What? I mean, obviously, it's not nice to you know to the death of a child, but even that's not done properly. No, you just there's no sentimentality there at all. <laughs> even Val Kilmer's character, like, I think he should have been on screen more because you barely even saw him. Yeah. It's just kind of, just sort of sat in a room, like just did nothing. It's like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and the thing is, when he is on screen, he's a presence. He's, he's menacing. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Sure. He really could have played with that. He could have had like a sort of Silence of the Lambs, like showdown, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> something, just anything. But nope, yeah. nope, none of that. I'm just going to be here. I think, you know, more than anything that might help us is just shorten the whole thing and make it into yes. like a Twilight Zone episode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this this could have easily been a hell of a lot shorter. Like you say, all of the things that they've dragged out were so unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like just walking down a corridor or cleaning glasses. It's like, we don't need to watch this. <laughs> no. <laughs> just couldn't make it happy. Imagine if it was one cop who abused a, a suspect and this whole story took place about that one cop. And so it was one-on-one. It wasn't going down this laundry list of people killing them in the various ways. If it was one cop versus one suspect, it would have been way more impactful and way more suspenseful because you would have had that psychological standoff between the two characters. Mm. As it is, it's just him going around picking them off. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to do something like a slasher where you're going around killing people, it just needs to be done a hell of a lot better than this. And there mm. just needs to be more of a motivation than just, oh, I'm just doing it for the lols, kind of. <laughs> it just it just, it just doesn't work, does it? <laughs> and especially that each murder follows the same template, is that mm. we see the flashback, it happens to that person, and then we move on. Yeah. There's, you can't do that six times in a row. No, that's boring. It doesn't work. <laughs> Too repetitive. Yeah. So is there anything we didn't cover in this film that you want to talk about? I think we did everything. It's just, it's just, there's just, it's just so underwhelming, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really a bummer. Yeah, because like no. I thought it had potential when I read the synopsis. You know, I I knew not. I didn't know a lot about it. Like I only read like you know the the IMDb summary, and I thought, oh, that could be actually pretty good. Let's try and ignore the four out of ten score. <laughs> but <laughs> I can understand why it has that score now. It's just it it's so just such a letdown, and it could have mm. had potential if it had just made us care about characters and if it had just paced itself better then perhaps it could have been a lot better i think i agree but we've had our say so let's hear from the man himself it's time for a reading from the book of val so our reading today comes from val kilmer's memoir i'm your huckleberry unsurprisingly the traveler gets no mention in this book (laughs) but he does talk about making these kind of films curtis jackson and i had an easy rapport when we reunited our second film blood out where Curtis played a big city detective while I play an unredeemable scumbag operating in the world of human trafficking. I strolled into the film's final scene, my hair down to my shoulders, my nefarious empire on the verge of collapse, and thought about what Marlon Brando might have done in such a moment. He'd have smiled, which is just what I did. Sometimes B-movies are a blast. Thanks be to Val. So, I mean, you know, he definitely understands the kind of movies he makes at times, and I can appreciate that because, you know, everybody needs a paycheck. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) 
uh, if you go into it the right mindset, great. Again, I don't know how much he could do, you know, to, to improve the film. He only has this character and he only has those scenes he's in. I don't think he would have been able to rewrite the film. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's in and out on these movies. But, um, you know, he does what he can. And uh, I appreciate what he did in this movie. So let's hear what other people have to say about this movie. Come, children. Let's explore the kills and valleys. Kills and Valleys are the best and worst reviews of this film and Val Kilmer's performance in it. Sadly, reviews were in short supply for The Traveler. (laughs) It has no listing on Metacritic. (laughs) And it has just five reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, sitting the film at 20% fresh. The most positive review came from Stacey Lane Wilson of Sci-Fi Weekly, and even it wasn't exactly glowing. The Traveler is yet another feature film with only a half-hour episode's worth of material in it, it's not to say that it's not worth a look, but don't expect too much. Val Kilmer is surprisingly good in it, given his recent penchant for sleepwalking through roles. Can't argue with that. He is good in it. I think he, he is a presence. Yes. Uh, if he had more to do, it might be more interesting. But mm-hmm. sitting in a chair for the most part and menacing people, he does, he does it well. <laughs> yeah, it was wasted. It was a wasted talent. <laughs> uh, David Nassar of Real Film was far less forgiving. Even by the questionable standards of the straight-to-video arena, The Traveler comes off as an unwatchable and thoroughly aggravating cinematic experience that boasts little in the way of positive attributes. There's just never a point at which the reviewer is able to work up even a hint of interest in any of the character's exploits, and it is, in the final analysis, impossible not to wonder just what drew Kilmer and his relatively talented co-stars to this hopelessly misbegotten piece of work in the first place. Good question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you if you write this script, I, I can't imagine there's anything on the page that says this is going to work out nicely. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a scathing review, but I agree. <laughs> you know what I realized is that so much of this film was shot at one time because they used those flashbacks of the beating over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's only so much script that could have been in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's just all, it's all filler and flashbacks, really. <laughs> yeah, not great. Yeah. Uh, without much word from the pros, let's take a look at how the film fared with the unwashed masses on Amazon. There are just 56 reviews of The Traveler on Amazon, and a remarkable 65% of them are five stars. <laughs> <sighs> oh, Amazon. Oh, gosh. This one certainly has a perspective. I love this movie because they put more verses in the Bible than Hallmark mo- Christmas movies. That is doing good if it has a Christmas carol. Sad and great that scary movies are getting more Bible verses. So this person watches movies looking for Bible verses, apparently. What are you talking about? <laughs> what kind I mean, of Bible review is that? <laughs> I mean, yes, Kilmer does throw out some lines from the Bible as his character, which is why I thought he was the devil or something, which would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, you know, him, him being versed in the Bible would have been more interesting than what it is. <laughs> Mm. Which, again, we don't really know, I guess, a spirit of vengeance is, I guess, what it comes out to be. But <laughs> it's completely pointless. After reading this, I get why they like this film. I personally do not understand why this movie received low ratings. I love this movie. It is one that keeps you watching it to see what's going to happen next. Full of suspense, Val Kilmer is excellent in it and is one of my favorites of his. I highly recommend the movie. It is one that you need to pay attention to, to know what is going on, but it kept my attention from start to finish. It's kind of like science fiction and suspense all in one. For example, if you like movies such as Stephen King's Desperation, then you would like this movie too. I use Desperation as an example because it is sort of the same type of movie as this one. Somebody who just repeats themselves over and over to fill out the length of a, of a review. So obviously this is their kind of movie. 
I love how they were like, oh, it keeps you guessing. It's like, no, it doesn't. It spoon feeds you all the way through. What are you talking about? You knew what was happening 37 minutes into this film, and then you had another 60 minutes to see it happen again and again. And so this guy just wrote his, maybe it's a meta commentary. I like that if it's, if he's joking around by just writing the same thing over and over again to fill out a review. I appreciate you, weird Amazon reviewer. <laughs> uh, just 4% of the Amazon reviews were one star. It's just amazing. This person really was affected by the film. Too violent for me. I never knew Val Kilmer did such violence. Your website never says anything about what the DVD is about. Too bad. I threw it away. Sorry. I threw it away. <laughs> I mean, very unhappy, but certainly polite. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love Amazon reviews. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure about this next person, but I think they didn't like the movie. Mm. Lame, lame, lame. Not to mention stupid. This movie sucks. They tried to make a modern day High Plains Drifter with a twist. No surprises. Not worth your time. Val Kimmer owes me $1.50 for the rental and $30 for my time. Kilmer should hang up acting for this garbage and he should take out full page ads in 50 major newspapers to apologize to everybody. Val Kilmer owes me money. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't imagine how much money I, I'm owed by so many actors at this point. Like, no, mate, you watched that yourself. He doesn't yeah. owe you anything. <laughs> I'd love to see Val Kilmer take out some ads in papers <laughs> talking about no, his movies. Sam. Can you imagine? Oh. <laughs> Amazon, you are a constant gift. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> so we have a decision to make. With or without Val. Does Val Kilmer make or break this film? Definitely make. Yeah? Why he do you say that? At least he has a presence, like you said. At least he is somewhat ominous and somewhat eerie and somewhat, you know, he has this dramatic entrance and stuff. If, if it didn't have him and, you know, if he didn't have like a fan base around him, it would just be cops doing stupid thing with mediocre villains sat in a room i think <laughs> which is essentially what it was um so yeah his name will probably draw you to the film but you'll probably be left disappointed because he's not in it a lot so <laughs> that's that. true a very common trait for a lot of late kilmer films mm. you know i think if he wasn't in this film it'd be completely unbearable yes as it is, it's just simply painful. <laughs> because there's just not enough story of variety here to make it worth its 96 minutes. I know if I wasn't watching this film for this show, I would never finish this film. No. I would have easily shut it off because I saw no promise of anything good. And in the end, I was right. There was no, no anything good in this film. And it was just a waste of time. Yeah, literally. I don't think he could have done enough. I mean, if he pulled out an Oscar-winning performance, it still wouldn't have raised this film up because there's not enough story. No. I think he plays creepy very well, but I couldn't bear just come up with any interest in what was happening in this movie. And so, you know, I feel it was a waste of his talent. And that's an unfortunate thing because this is one of the later films before his throat cancer surgery. And so to waste his time in something like this is a really sad thing because he didn't have that. You know, I don't know what his future brings, but yeah. he only had his voice was only there so long. And this was a waste of it. No, Absolutely. I think, like I said earlier, if they just made some effort to develop his character, it could have been a very good villain, I think, but mm -hmm. nope. Not at all. <laughs> not Val's fault at all. It's just a crappy no. script writing. <laughs> I do not believe this is Val's fault at all. No. So now that we've covered The Traveler, I'd like to play a little game. Cool. Sounds good. It's called First Name, Worst Name. So the working title of The Traveler was Mr. Nobody, uh, which makes sense considering the, the name of the character is Mr. Nobody. Mm. and it's way better than The Traveler, which has no connection to the movie at all. 
so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the working title of some famous films, and then you have to guess what it is from three options I give you. Okay. And I'm giving you options. I was thinking about not giving any options, just seeing if you guess it. But reality, these titles offer almost no clue as to what the actual film is. So okay. <laughs> we'll see how you do. <laughs> the, I think the, the hints will help, the, uh, the options. So awesome. the first one is Paradox. Paradox was the working name of what film? Was it Inception, Back to the Future 2, or Chinatown? Probably Inception. No, it was the name of Back to the Future 2. Really? Yeah, oh, and it was actually the name when the movie was one film. Originally, Back to the Future 2 and 3 were one film, and then they decided to split it to, to um, do more story. Oh, so, well, okay. Actually, no, in hindsight, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> So you're 0 for 1. Okay, yeah. This next one might be easy. Cool. Bl- Blue Harvest. Yeah. Is Blue Harvest the original name of Field of Dreams, Smurfs, or Return of the Jedi? <laughs> oh, I love that. Is it Smurfs? <laughs> it's Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi, Jesus Christ. Yeah, what happened was that when they made Empire Strikes Back because of the success of Star Wars, yeah. they... um they found that everybody was jacking up the rates to rent locations and everything because it was a Star Wars film. Mm. So when they made the third one, they said, oh, we're just going to call it Blue Harvest and claim that's a horror film. And so nobody jacked up their rates on all the stuff they needed and they end up making Return, Return of the Jedi instead. Oh my gosh. Yeah, cool. very, a very smart move by Lucas. Yeah. Okay, the next one. Group Hug. Mm-hmm. Group Hug. Is Group Hug the original name of American Pie Avengers or Mean Girls? Mean Girls. Eh, it is Avengers. Avengers. Yeah. It's a song. <laughs> it's just to point out how uh, unusual these names are, and they're really an effort to try to hide what the movie was being made because they don't want leaks to get out. Mm. Uh, and often they send these movies out to the theaters with these names on the tin, so nobody steals the movies. Mm-hmm. See, my logic was Mean Girls because I was thinking group hug, clique, kind of, <laughs> you know, girly. Did that did not even cross my mind? <laughs> no, it, it, it probably shouldn't. <laughs> so so far, over oh three. You can come yeah, back though. It's I not going great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next one. Everybody comes to Rick's. Is everybody comes to Rick's the real name of Dazed and Confused, Good Burger, or Casablanca? Casablanca. It is in fact Casablanca. <laughs> nice Finally. Thing. So everybody comes to Rick's was the name of a play. Mm-hmm. that the movie was based on. The play was never produced and they bought the rights to the play and made it into Casablanca. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that one had a little bit of a clue with the Rick's name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought. I was like, okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> okay, this next one may be easy. I don't know. Okay. When I Grow Up. When I Grow Up was the original name of Big, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, or Ant-Man. <laughs> Is it Ant-Man? It's Big. It's Big. Because yeah. I was thinking, is it a jokey word in title? Like, <laughs> when I literally grow. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. But no, no, no logic there. <laughs> it was big. That one, they, they, they actually kind of stuck closer to the actual story was like. Uh, and yeah. that was actually just the original title. of the. I thought know, the it was too game. obvious, you see. This is what I was going for. But <laughs> uh, I try to trick you. <laughs> right, yeah. Got him. Got him. <laughs> okay. The next one. The Babysitter Murders. Ooh. Is The Babysitter Murders the original name of Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2? Halloween or the babysitter? Oh gosh, um, Halloween. Correct. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. It is the original name of Halloween. And awesome. They, 
I can't imagine that being named the babysitting murders. I mean, Halloween is such an iconic name for that. Mm, movie. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's a tough one. Mm. Rory's first kiss. Is Rory's first kiss the original name of Spice World, The Dark Knight, or Can't Hardly Wait? <laughs> um, Spice World. Eh. Nope. It was the first name, the original name of The Dark Knight. No, that's the one I was not going to go for. Oh my God. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, just to throw people completely off. They didn't want people to know that they were making a new Dark Knight movie. Uh, and so they named it something completely different than what it would be. <laughs> that's sneaky. Jeez. How about this one? Head cheese. So, head cheese. Is it the name of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Ratatouille, or Delicatessen? Mm, ratatouille texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> the weird thing is i can't figure out why like, yeah that, that's bizarre <laughs> yeah there was no explanation as to why uh it was called head cheese and there's no real connection between head cheese and the texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> but what a weird one <laughs> yeah, that 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 is odd that i don't feel bad about losing that one because that just doesn't make any sense <laughs> <laughs> not at all star beast Mm-hmm. Is Star Beast the original name of Alien, Predator, or Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, alien. Correct. Uh, yeah, so it Guardians is too obvious. Yeah. You figured it out. Mm. <laughs> okay, here's, one. here's one that will not be as easy. Okay. Incident on 57th Street. Is it the name of Miracle on 31st Street, Die Hard, or Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> Gosh, um, it's gonna go crazy here and say Die Hard. Harry Potter and the Harry Chamber Potter. of Secrets was originally incident oh. on Fifty Seventh Street, named for the Bruce Springsteen album. Oh, okay. Again, wow. this was one of those situations where they didn't want people to know what they were making, so mm-hmm. they named it something completely different. <laughs> and here's your final question: mm-hmm. A long night at Camp Blood. Mm-hmm. A long night at Camp Blood is the original name of. Sleepaway Camp, Cabin Fever, or Friday the 13th? Before you even said that, I was thinking Friday the 13th, so I'm going to go with that. And that would be a good instinct because that's the name of the movie. So it was Friday the 13th. You yeah. end up getting four of them right. Cool, that's not too bad. I mean, I got, no. I got most of the horrors right, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, <laughs> you're talking about completely random ideas. Yeah, when Rory's first kiss is the Dark Knight. Dark Knight, yeah. Like, it's no logic behind that. <laughs> getting four right is quite an accomplishment. <laughs> oh, my God. How have other people done on that one? I haven't. This is the first time I've, I've played this game. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Awesome. I, I'm trying to play new games each episode, so we'll, we'll see how other people do with that, that storyline. I have to find a movie that has a good uh, working title. I try to tie it to the, to the movie that we're watching. Awesome. Yeah, no, I was, I was just curious if, you'd, um, if you decided to do it with other people, but I, I had fun with that. <laughs> yeah, we will see if you are the reigning champion of first name, wrong, bad name, or worst name. Worst name. <laughs> we'll so see. that's all for this episode of Kilmercast. I'd like to thank you, Lucy, for joining me to chat about 20 minutes of story stretched out to about 96 minutes of film. <laughs> oh thank you it's been such a good time i've really enjoyed it great do you have anything to plug yeah sure i mean if you if you guys like me and want to follow me on twitter i'm at lgth blog or you can follow my blog uh, lucy goes to hollywood.com great as usual i have nothing to plug uh but <laughs> i would like to recommend that you check out ap bio on peacock if you haven't watched it the cast is fantastic with pat oswalt and paula pell among the many standouts and uh it even overcomes having a really unlikable lead 
which is something that I, I have a real problem with. Like, that's why I didn't like Seinfeld because I didn't like the leads. They were really just awful people. Uh, and I've never a big fan of always sunny in Philadelphia either. Uh, and they are the, some of the people there are behind the show, but this one really strikes a chord to me. It's really enjoyable. There are three seasons to watch on Peacock. Uh, do you have Peacock in, in the UK? No, I'm not sure. What is that? Is that a streaming service? Or? Yeah, it's NBC streaming service. Oh, okay. Um, no, we don't have that. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't know if it's available there, but maybe AP Bio will be picked up by E4. Who knows? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, E4 really gets all your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so please enjoy those three seasons if you can. Uh, maybe we'll get a fourth one out of them if that happens. On our next episode, we'll be going back to 1993 to watch Val Kilmer and Kim Basinger rob a bank in The Real McCoy. In the meanwhile, please email any thoughts, questions, or comments to kilmercast at gmail.com and follow the show on Twitter at KilmerCast. For myself and my guest, Lucy Bugless, thank you for listening and remember to keep it Kilmer. Hey!